case, they can now be dismissed to their class. Thank you, brother. And good morning again. It's great to see everyone. If you have your Bibles and like to follow along, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, and we're also going to project this scripture. Um, we're actually going to start at the very last verse of Nehemiah chapter 7, which um, is the verse right before chapter 8, and I'm going to read from that now. So, verse 73 of chapter 7. <clears throat> now, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all of Israel lived in their cities. <clears throat> and when the seventh month came, the sons of Israel were in their cities. And now chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Verse 3. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maasaiah, tried that one many times. That's probably not Maaseiah on his right hand. And uh, Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkajah, Hashem, and my favorite, Hashbadana. Hashbadana. It sounds like a dance, the Hashbadana. But anyway, it's a cool name. Zechariah, Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, meaning the book or the scroll, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, uh, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maasiah, uh, Kalida, Azariah. Told you this was going to be an exciting sermon. Josabad, Hanan, Pelaiah, the Levites. <clears throat> Let me go through those names again. <clears throat> Explain the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense so they understood the reading. <clears throat> now, I did that purposely to come out and read those, that long, long passage just to let you know how easy you guys have it here. Because Ezra had the people out there for six hours, from six in the morning till midday, <clears throat> and they just listened to the word of the Lord. They listened to the law of God. And for those of you that have been following us, This is a debut in our story of Ezra. Uh, So far, it's been Nehemiah. He's been called by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because Israel had been in exile under the Persian Empire at this time. 
It's interchangeably used with Babylon, Babylonian Empire, because the Persians had defeated the Babylonians. And God called him from the very right hand of King Artaxerxes. He was his cupbearer. And God said, you're going to go rebuild the walls. And how did he say that? By giving him a burden. A burden for his people, a burden for his land, a burden for the promises of God, a burden for the word of God. And he followed that burden, not knowing, just like many, many of us, many in scripture, not knowing what the next step is going to be, he followed God. Next step, he took the next step. And funny as it is, God provided everything. Isn't that funny how that works when God calls? Where God guides, God provides. He provided him the okay from King Artaxerxes to go rebuild an old city that used to be a great kingdom. Wow. And I'm going to pay for the whole thing, says King Artaxerxes. And I'm going to send you protection on the 800-mile journey there to Jerusalem that you've never seen before, Nehemiah, by the way. He, wasn't even bo- he was born in Persia, in, in exile. So he comes, he has opposition, he has attacks, he learns lots of lessons, he's a great leader, and he finishes the wall in 52 days. Again, he took all the gates, he rebuilt all those he, that were broken down, he connected all the walls around, and now the temple, which had already been built, is in place, the wall is secured, but there was one thing missing before that reformation could truly take place. You see, God had promised, I'm going to bring you back into the land. I'm going to reestablish you as my people. Now, we look in hindsight and we know why God was doing this the whole time is because this is a prior to Christ coming, the promised Messiah coming, as God said he would, through the line of Judah, through the people of Israel, through the line of Adam. And that he would come and he would be the king. He would take out the enemy, take out the enemy's power, and put Israel back in the place they were supposed to be from the very beginning. And that is the light of the world. When I say Israel, I'm saying that interchangeably with us right now. As Paul says, the true Israel aren't only those that have descended from Israel, but it's the spiritual Israel where the line comes through. So God delivers his promises, but... How does he do it? You see, the term reformation, according to Holman's Bible Dictionary, which is very good, by the way, refers to either a new order relating to God or establishing a new order relating to God. An easier way to understand reformation can be renewing your relationship with God in a way by making an impacting change. Something that is not necessarily a... You know, uh, just, well, you know, I'm cleaning things up. No, I'm saying a reformation. Ah, We're starting a new order. This is going to be an impacting change. We're going to go into a different direction. So true biblical reformation can be demonstrated in the transformation of a person's relationship with God. So reformation leads to that transformation in the relationship with God. Or it can lead to transformation on a larger scale. In either case, this change that I'm talking about must begin by God working in the hearts of the people. Excuse me. We see this both in the Old 
<clears throat> excuse me, and New Testaments. For instance, when King Asa became king, the scripture says he did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Now, if you know, through the books of, uh, of Judges, Israel was rebellious and then they wanted a king. So God gave him King Saul and then David became king after that. And then Solomon and then the kingdom divided and the northern and the southern kingdom were against each other. And all the kings that were raised up for the north and the south, the majority of them were all bad kings. None of them followed God. But King Asa was a good king. He was one of the good things, even though he made some knucklehead moves at certain points and did some dumb, dumb things. He was still looked at someone who was after God's heart. He did right in the sight of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars in high places. He tore down the sacred pillars. He cut down the ashram and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, their God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. That's that's recorded from 2 Chronicles 14, 2-4. And we see it all throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see reformation such as when Peter preached in the book of Acts chapter 2. You remember that? Peter just got up, the guy that was scared to death of going out of even the house. He is now preaching the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. The Holy Spirit empowers them, falls upon them, and they start to speak in tongues. They have tongues of fire. There's all sorts of miracles happening. But did that transform people? Nope. What transformed people? When Peter got up and preached the word of God, the Lord saw fit to add 3,000 to the church that day by the preaching of the word of God. Now, in our passage today, particularly in this entire passage, I'm sorry, entire chapter, we're only going to go through these first eight verses. Next week, we'll take another chunk. It may, be, it may be through the rest of the chapter, not sure yet. But in, in this chapter, we have another uh, uh, amazing reformation starting um, again. And one of the most uh, well-known ones in Scripture, especially the Old Testament. So Ezra, the scribe, and the priest enters the picture. But it's not Ezra who makes the change. It's not the man speaking who matters. It's the words that he is speaking that matters. As I, when, it, when I'm talking about the word of God being preached. So Ezra was a scribe. He was a priest. Yep, he was a great dude and he followed the Lord. He followed the law, but it wasn't him. It's what he brought with him <clears throat> and what we need to bring with us everywhere we go. And that is the spirit of the word of God. And we are to give that word to the people. And that's what causes the reformation in the hearts of people is the word of God preached and teached. The word or taught. The word of God looked at and understood. It affects the heart. And we heard the, the, the passage. It's sharp. It penetrates. And throughout all of scripture, we see this amazing, transforming, mysterious power of the what the word of God does to those who engage with it. <clears throat> now, the temple, again, it's been rebuilt. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. The people were guarding and serving uh, at the Lord in the walled city. Their actions started to become right, but now their hearts needed the attention. Again, God wants, cares more about the, your heart, the work in your heart, than the work of your hands, necessarily. Because if the work of your hands is not being done unto the Lord, it's going to burn up like wood and stubble. 
Okay, Other, but if it's done on the Lord, if it's done in the Lord, it's going to be like that gold. It's going to stand the fire. It's going to stand the test of time and it's going to be there and it's going to be valuable and impactful. So their hearts needed to return passionately to the word of God. See, they haven't been practicing the law at this time. It's been sort of loosey-goosey. I mean, Ezra was there for 13 years already. He's already been there 13 years. So he was trying to get the systems in place and everything like that, but he couldn't really do anything. The walls are broken down. How can we even protect these sacrifices, you know? We don't have enough of the people. So we had these, these, uh, these people coming back from all the lands that they were scattered back to Jerusalem to live in Jerusalem, to populate Jerusalem, but still that was not enough. Now, as Ezra enters the picture, he preaches the word of God to the people, but how he did and how the people responded provides what I believe valuable application for us as believers today. Again, I'll say it, it's not just the word of God, it's not just this book in this paper. The words on this paper mean nothing. It's the spirit of these words. This is the mind of God that's written down here. But it must be understood. We can't just walk around and rub it on people or jump in front of people with a scripture. You know, see this? Ah, I got him. You know, the word of God isn't some magic tool. The word of God is God's breath. It's God's thoughts. Jesus is actually called the Lagos in John 1, 1, which in the Greek means What? The Lagos means word. Okay, so we have this word of God that's sharp, that's penetrating, that's here, and it's God himself. So I want to go, what I want to go through today is how what we could do to do, because I know everybody, mostly everybody here, and I know the ones that I do know, I know if I said to you, do you read the word of God? Are you listening to the word of God? Do you... Um, you know, do you study it? You'd say yes. So that's great. But what I want to do is get you a front row seat. You know what I'm saying? Like if I said to you, hey, I, I have tickets to the best, your favorite singer in the whole world. And I have front row seats for you. You can come all the way up to the front and sit. And then you can meet that person afterwards. You go, now I'm going to sit all the way up in the nosebleed section. You're getting it, you're getting the music, but, but you're not nearly getting what you could have gotten when you go deep and you go closer and closer and closer. And that's what happens when you truly go after Jesus through the word of God. And so I'd like to talk about this. How did he do this? How could we use it to transform, really reform, then transform our own lives Unto transforming the world that's around us. So I believe in this passage, when you look at it, there's lots of new concepts in this passage. We see the Watergate, we see Ezra, we hear the word scribe, we hear the word priest, because uh, we see Ezra as a scribe and a priest. So I want to touch on some of those things. So, you know, we see the book of the law, like what is that? And so we'll talk to you a little bit about that, but really what I want to get to is how this reformation of the people of Israel began. And I believe it began, and any new beginning with God begins with returning to the hearing of the word, to the true revering of the word, and I didn't purposely try to rhyme those, I promise you, and the understanding of the word. 
So we have to hear the word. We have to revere this word. In other words, we have to give it the respect that it deserves and what it is for what it is. And then we must understand it. And so you notice the first thing they did is they heard the word by Ezra. So Ezra was a priest and a scribe. He was a descendant of Aaron, actually. He's known in um, the Hebrews, uh, scholars will call him the chronicler because he wrote the chronicles. He's known to have written the chronicles. And in the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are one book. And so are the chronicles. And also potentially um, the author of Esther. And so Ezra, the reason we started with Nehemiah before Ezra, because Ezra tells the story. If you look in your Bible in the Old Testament, you see the book of Nehemiah. And right before that is the book of Ezra. And so Ezra records Zerubbabel's first coming into Jerusalem to build the temple. And that's the first seven chapters of the book of Ezra. So he's sort of recording what happened. And then chapter seven of the book of Ezra through 10, that occurs about 13 years before Nehemiah came here. So Ezra writes his book and he stops recording about the past and he brings it back to the present. And so he was a priest and a scribe. And basically what the priests do is we're very familiar with that. They intercede on behalf of God. But the scribe was a very, he was a scholar. He was a man of the law. He was the copier or at least the overseer of the copying process. The scribes are the ones that kept all the scrolls in place. And they were meticulous on how they copied these and how they managed these. So they were able to preserve the Old Testament. But it's very, I'm very curious, what did Ezra do? First thing Ezra did is he opened, verse 5, he opened the book. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And this was not a book. The Hebrew Bible did not come into play yet. So these were scrolls that he opened up. So if you look at the Hebrew word, you'll see it's interchangeable with scroll, reading, whatever you want to call it. So he opened it and read from the law from early morning in their presence. And there's so many things that are important here. Notice he opened the book, the Bible. He didn't go up and open, you know, uh, with some sort of joke book. Or some sort of really popular uh, speaker, you know, commentating on him. I'm not trying to nail and beat up other preachers and teachers and whether tell jokes. I tell jokes sometimes. I can't help it sometimes, right? When something's funny, I believe it's humorous. We have to express it. But we have to revere the word of God. It can never be at the expense of you hearing and understanding the word of God. So he opened up the book. And again, this book was the what? The law. It was the Pentateuch, which simply means five books. Or the Torah. The Torah, or however you like to say it. When you see the word law in scripture, it means Torah. And so we have the Torah, and we have uh, the Pentateuch, as, a call, as it's called. And some of you, if you're, from, uh, uh, if you're familiar with the Hebrew uh, uh, religion, you, or the Ju- Ju- Judaism, you know that they also have a commentary on that called the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition of the law. And so there's, these are these, this is what they looked at as authoritative. But the law of Moses was 
primary. That was top. And so they were there to hear. Who was there to hear? All who could understand. Now, the, the one thing I want to get out of this is that in order for us, and I know this may sound silly, but in order for us to reform ourselves through the word of God, we have to open up our Bibles. Or we have to open up our Bible apps. Okay, I'm not against Bible apps. As long as you're able to do that and, and, and keep track of it. And we want to open up our Bibles and we want to read our Bibles. Now, I know you think that sounds funny. But this is something that I've noticed a lot. Again, that analogy of, of sitting way back versus going up to the front row of a concert is like just sort of skimming over the scriptures, sort of hearing the music from a distance as opposed to having the music on headphones and trying to understand the music, the words, the singer's intent, why they may have written this song, what does it mean, how does it apply to me. Don't you ever notice that about songs? You listen to it, and then that song, you like it so much, it becomes yours, right? It's like represents all this stuff to you that it represents to nobody else. Or maybe similar, but this song now becomes your own. You now own it in your, in your life. Well, that's sort of how the word of God is. Because you have the truth, the, the writer's intent. And you have the words on scripture, the words here on page. You know the doctrines, you know what they look like because you've dug in. Okay, so you understand that. You're, you're, you're digging, digging, you're going deep. And then <clears throat> what happens? Well, we say, this is really becoming clear. Wow, this is must, you know what? This reminds me of another, let me do a search on this. And now before you know it, you're seeing the connectivity of the scripture because you're doing more than just reading it, but you're doing what Ezra writes here in verses, at the verse eight, they translated it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But understanding the reading is key. It's not just going, well, this is how this song applies to me. Yeah, this is my song. Woo, I love this. No, that's, that's later. We first have to understand what the Bible is truly saying. What did the writers mean? Who was writing it? Who, what, where, when, why? That's why I say I don't care so much if you read the Bible, excuse me, once a year through the whole Bible. Great. But if you're not getting the, the meat of the word, and, or if, let's say, no, you know what, Pat, I don't have a lot of time, well, then break it up. <clears throat> Take the meat of the word by going in and, and realizing that this is Jesus, okay? Not really Jesus, not like some sort of biblical transubstantiation for those of you that are from the Catholic uh, background. He doesn't, this doesn't turn into Jesus some weird way. These, this is Christ. This is his heart, his mind, his thoughts, his thinking. So we want to extract that and it goes to work. Now here, you don't always feel it. Okay, so I don't want you to expect to always feel after you go to the word of God. Okay, go and seek out the understanding of it. The feeling may come. God may hit you right between the eyes of the scripture, right? When that happens, it's great. Like, oh, Lord, you're speaking directly to me. But I say most of the time, 
what happens to me, it's something that I read last week that I, that I dug into that I was just like, you know, I, you know, trying to meditate and see how it means. I didn't get anything from it then necessarily, but the spirit is working in me. The word always comes and does what it's intended to do. And that is to change hearts. God doesn't throw the word out with no purpose. And so then after a couple of weeks, that word that was sown starts to grow and it starts to move me. But I have to get into the word first. So I encourage you, get a Bible that you can understand. Get multiple Bibles. Go on a Bible app that has multiple uh, translations. Have a, you don't have to have a commentary next to you, but have a Bible handbook. So some, if you have a question, you can go, let me, ex-. I like to, when I'm going through the, the, especially the Old Testament, even the New, I like to use the Haley's Bible handbook. And I like to go through that chapter and see what he says about it. After I read the chapter, sometimes before, if I sort of know what's going on, and I always get something new out of the context of that scripture, where it reminds me of it. Because without the right context, The word of God is what the word of God was at this place, at this time, but it's for every time in all places, which means you got to get the context because that's what's inspired. All right. We can't just take these words out and start wielding them around however we want. We have to use them in context and that's how we prepare it. And that's how we prepare, um, that's how God uses it to prepare our hearts to move. Now, the second thing is they revered the word of God. They knew truly what it was. They knew truly what it was. All right? It, I mean, <clears throat> it's a funny scene from a movie. I, I, don't, I don't remember how bad this movie was, so forgive me if it's not, you know, perfect. But the movie The Apostle, do you guys remember that? With, with um. Uh, Robert Duval. So he's a he's a crazy preacher, basically. And somebody, you know, back in the day, this is probably set a hundred years ago or seventy years ago or whatever. Somebody comes to the church with a bulldozer to bulldoze his church down. He doesn't want it there. So the guy was a real tough guy, and this guy was crazy. And what he does because you want to bull, he comes from the pulpit. He goes outside. He goes, you want to bulldoze this church? He takes the Bible, he opens it up, he puts it down on the ground, says, you're going to have to run over that Bible. That's a funny story. And the guy got shut the tractor off. He didn't do it. He couldn't do it. He knew the word. I'm not saying he was a Christian. I'm not saying he was doing the right thing. I'm just saying that's how we ought to be with the word of God. We ought to revere the word of God that it stops us in our tracks. The Israelites, when the Jewish people, when they heard the word of God, it wasn't that they were like, oh, let's bow down and uh, this is what we're supposed to do, right? Let's go and, and do our, our bows. Let's raise our hands. Let's say amen and amen. No, they worshiped. They bowed low. They bowed low. And I'm not saying that I want everybody to bow low and everybody to stand up. That's not the purpose of this. This is a historical narrative. It's not necessarily like, here's how you worship God. If you'd like to do that, then fine, do it. But please go back in that room over there and do it. <laughs> because we don't want to, hope the, we have to do things decently and in order here. But I can tell you right now, if you're at your house, shut the door, lock the door. Get on your face before the Lord. Get on your knees before the Lord. Put a pillow down, if you're like me and you're old. Put a pillow down. Put those knees on there. Sit in your chair, bow your head, revere God in your way. But it is God's word. 
And they knew what this was. And they knew that they had not been following it. And as we're going to see, they started to, later in the chapter, they started to weep. And, And Nehemiah and Ezra said, don't weep. You should be out there and just go out and celebrate because of the word of God. Now, again, there has a, they revered the word as well. That you see, the first day of the seventh month on the Jewish calendar is on the Jewish ecclesiastical calendar is a Jewish holiday called Rosh Hashanah. You guys have heard about Rosh Hashanah. It's a, a modern two-day uh, obser- uh, observance and celebration that begins on the first day of Tishri, which is the seventh month of the ecclesiastical year. <clears throat> And it also marks the beginning of a new year. And in the Jewish tradition, it's a celebration of the traditional anniversary of the creation of mankind. And Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, according to the Bible, as well as the initiation of humanity's role in this world. So this, was a, this has all sorts of echoes and parallels now. If you, if you rush back through our previous sermons about the, being, the, being the priests that we're called to be and seeing that picture of these people serving and guarding and doing all this. And now on Rosh Hashanah, the first day, this is called the Feast of Trumpets at this time. They were to go and they were to celebrate. <clears throat> the, the one thing, though, this is what it means. On, and, and those of you that are familiar with Rosh Hashanah could probably speak more into this. But from my research, I thought this was very um, interesting here that in uh, rabbinical customs include on Rosh Hashanah to attend the synagogue and they recite a special liturgy about teshuva, which means repentance, as well as they enjoy festive meals. Teshuva literally means to return as if turning back to something you've strayed or looked away from. So here we have on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest of the Lord, leading the people, reading the word of God on the day that would eventually become known as Rosh Hashanah, where people's hearts have to be changed. They would mourn and they would repent. Now, this isn't Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. This is different. So this is a return back to God. You can't return to God right now if you're straying from God without the word of God without obeying the word of God, without reading the word of God, without the word of God changing your heart. You can't do it. You can maybe mock, you could sort of imitate the change, but is it going to be real and authentic? Not unless it's coming, that turn is coming from God, godly repentance. And so finally, they revered the word. Obviously, they opened it and they read it, but they also understood it. Now, this to us here at Faith Evangelical is really the whole basis in our philosophy of ministry. And that is to preach the word of God verse by verse, expository preaching, giving the sense so you understand the meaning, giving you the context of what's going on giving you a context of what's going on, not just in this story, but how it relates to the entire Bible. You can't just piece it out. The Bible is a perfectly uh, synergistic document. It's multiple books, 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, but it's also one book and you have to understand it. So that's what our philosophy is here. 
We do that for many reasons, because the word of God, I believe, and we believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, that it is the renewing power that's changing the world now, that's preparing for Christ's return. But most important, it's what the, it's how people's hearts get changed by the gospel. So the gospel that Jesus Christ suffered and died and rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God, and he's king all over, that is the power of God unto salvation. That's the message that changes hearts. But it's got to be understood. <clears throat> it's when in this word here, they said they translated it to give the sense so that they understood the reading. The Hebrew word for translating here is to make distinct, to distinguish, to separate. Does that ring a bell? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent, talking to Timothy the pastor, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling, that's the word, or in some versions I like better, dividing the word of truth. And that's what we want to do here is divide the word to you so you know what the word is saying. Not just coming up here telling you, just trust in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Just trust in Jesus, you know, life is going to be great. And I'm saying, I'm being facetious here, of course. I don't think there's anybody that's that on the nose with it. But you know what I'm saying? When going through the word of God, verse by verse, I don't dictate. I may dictate how I interpret the scripture, and that's where you have to check the scriptures and see if these things are so. Be good Bereans. Okay? But I divide the scripture and present the scripture out to you, and you have to take that scripture and go with it and say, is this the truth? And sometimes your spirit tells you, yep, I know that's the truth. But it's got to be accurately divided. And, then, and <clears throat> That's why we do this. I don't have to come up every week and say, well, what do you guys want to talk about next week? Uh, I think, you know what, we should, we should talk about, uh, you know, what's going on. And um, uh, everyone should know about, you know, this, this politician and this, this and that. And sometimes it works itself in. We're not saying that we, oh, no, we're staying away from the world. We're, co we're covering ourselves up waiting for the return of Christ. But if the word of God teaches it, then we teach it. If that week the word of God doesn't teach it, then we don't teach it. And that's, that's difficult sometimes. But that's what this guy was doing here. Ezra brought out, not his own agenda, he brought out the law, the Pentateuch, and he started reading it. And, now, and you know, in some parts of that, the first five books of the Bible get a little boring, right? Some of those names and numbers and all that. These people were weeping because Moses had God had used Moses in such a powerful way to deliver them out of bondage, and he promised he would do it again through the Messiah. And that's what they knew was coming, because in order for the Messiah to return, the country, the nation had to be reestablished, and it was doing that. And it all was because of the word of God said it. So my goal was to encourage you. This chapter is really about a new beginning. These people have the, the walls are built, the temple's built, the nation is being regathered, people are volunteering to live in the cities, in the city of Jerusalem. And now they're hearing the word. They, they knew the word of God, the book of the law is to be revered. They knew truly what it was, God's breath. Finger of God wrote that law. 
They understood the word by understanding the sense because it was being divided. It was being separate and shown and pointed out and applied. You have to do that for yourself. I'll do it here on Sunday, but this isn't enough. It's not enough here. You got to be in the word of God and know that the word, when you're in that time in the word is you are just, you are plowing and plowing and plowing and plowing. And you will, there will be an increase. You will see it. Now, new beginnings, I thought was very, I saved this for last. New beginnings always come through water in scripture, right? In the very beginning, the earth was formless and void. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then let there be light. And we see this new beginning after new beginning through water, Red Sea, Jordan, and then, of course, ultimately pointing to the, to the baptism that we practice as a symbol of our faith. And now we see the significance of the water gate, don't we? Jesus is the living water. What's very unique about the water gate is that it was the only gate that wasn't repaired. The only gate that wasn't mentioned in the list of all the gates that were repaired. It's the only one that didn't need to be fixed. The word of God is perfect. As evangelical Christians, we believe in the, in the authority of scripture as number one. It's an infallible, inerrant, and fully inspired by God document that is profitable for our life, for teaching, rebuking, for training, for all the things that we need in life. Everything is here. And it started at this water gate. It never needs repairs. The water gate is also near the Gihon Spring. So right along the wall there, the, the water gate, if you're, looking at the, if you're looking at the city of Jerusalem, is on the east. And right along the wall of, that, of Jerusalem is the Gihon Spring which gave Jerusalem all of its water, all of its pure drinking water. It's symbolic that in Ezekiel's vision of the new temple, the the, the heavenly temple, water flows from the east, out from from the temple through the east. It doesn't say the water gate, but it goes and does say the east gate. But the most important picture of this water gate is the relationship between water and the word. Water and the word. Jesus is the word and Jesus is the living water. Jesus answered and said to the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God, John 4, and who it is says to you, give me a drink, because Jesus had asked her for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus' word cleanses us because Jesus is that living water. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you, John 15. As Jerusalem's only source of fresh water was this Gihon spring, so is Jesus the only thing that can cleanse our sin and our heart. Now the name Gihon means gushing forth. That's where it comes from. Jesus said in John 7, he that believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. <clears throat> the word is actually it means to gush. Everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. 
and it will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the gate, that perfect gate, the door. He is our shepherd. But if you want to be claimed by the word of God, and Jesus hasn't opened your eyes to understand the word of God, then nothing is going. The Bible says that the word of God, the gospel, the gospel that Jesus died and rose again for our sins and paid our debt eternally and that we are going to be risen with Christ on a new heaven and a new earth when we repent and that if we do not do that, we will be separated from God forever, paying for our own sins. That is the gospel that opens our heart to understand and go deep into this word. So if you have not, trusted Christ, you have to ask yourself, why? What is stopping you? Is it your pride? Is it your just, you're, it's, I don't, I, I would never blitz silly. Well, you know what? I challenge you. Go to the Lord. Go to God and say, God, if that preacher is telling the truth about who you are, that you are Jesus, and that you could save me from my sins, then you show me. And I would like to give you an even more challenge than open up that book. Open up, if, if this is new to you and you want to start fresh, start with the New Testament. Start reading through the New Testament and let the word of God transform you as it's going to do at least temporarily here for the people of Israel. And we'll, get, we'll move on through this next week. We'll talk about the Feast of Booths and how all this ties into it. Thank you for your attention and listening. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it's rock solid, that it's Jesus, and that your word lives in our heart, that you've branded it onto our minds, and, and that, Lord, that word, that same word is saving us, even right now, ultimately carrying us to successfully to the end. Help us, Lord. Take away the temptations, Lord, when we want to go to your word, and read it, but we, we start thinking about all the different things that are going on that we need to do. Let us, Lord, alter, alter our lives to prioritize the reading and understanding of your word as most important. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this last song.